Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 40. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hello there, and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing by House Flip Masters. And we have a fantastic guest today, another somewhat Southern California, I'll call it Southern California guy. Um, not quite in my exact neighborhood, but I'm real excited to have him. His name is Dirk Waters, and he's a San Diego investor with three and a half years experience who's done like a really wide variety of things. I'm just really impressed with the vastness of difference of things he's done from lease options to high-end deals to wholesales to rehabs. So with that, welcome to the show, Dirk. Thank you, Holly. I'm glad to be on. Well, thank you for taking your very valuable time to share some of your wisdom and experience with our listeners today. My favorite thing is to bring real life story and actionable tips to the lives of real estate investors and people that want to do it and improve their strategies. So why don't you start out by sharing with us your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up around real estate. My dad is a commercial developer. But he does, he does huge projects. So um, we, we kind of moved around a decent amount when I was growing up. He'd worked in New York. He worked in Orlando, Detroit. Uh, now he's in Washington, D.C., kind of wrapping up his career. But he worked on the big, the, like, skyscraper-type developments. You know, and a project like that could take 10 years. Wow. And I was, yeah. And I was always fascinated by that. Um, but I, I didn't really want to go into that. It was a little too corporate for me. And, you know, I... I don't have the patience to wait 10 years for a deal to finish. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to the University of Wisconsin when I was done with school. I uh, worked as a sales manager for an insurance company for a couple of years. And I liked that, but I didn't love it. And a couple of years after I got started, I, I kind of got the itch, the real estate itch. And I started educating myself. I think I did what a lot of people do, which is uh, go to the, the forums, biggerpockets.com, listen to podcasts like this one, and uh, kind of get your knowledge where it needs to be. And uh, I started like a lot of people start. I started doing wholesale deals, um, both traditional and lease options. I really like lease options because not as many people were using that strategy. And it was when I'd have a seller on the phone, some of them hadn't heard of it, and it kind of set me apart. Um, but after a little while of doing that, I got hooked up with these guys actually at, at an event, at a seminar event, which, uh, you know, I don't think it's that common, but we, we ended up working together and they had big private money relationships up in the Bay area and they wanted to do high end flips and remodels. So that's, those are my first real, um, rehab deals, uh, where we did three in Orange County. And then these are higher price points, like two to $5 million. So it was cool wow. to work on those. Yeah. <laughs> that is like, that is hairy and scary to me because you, unless you've got a really fat profit margin in them, that's just, it seems like you could lose a lot. How did, how did they yeah. go for you? Did they go really well? Did you guys make great money and was it scary or? Well, yeah, it, it was exciting for me because those were, those were some of my first bigger deals. And we, I had the, I went through a lot, a lot of opportunities before we settled on the ones that we actually did. So there was a, 
it wasn't an amazing margin, but it was good enough. You know, it, it was something that I, I would still do now. And that was 2015. So that, you know, the, the market was still going up and, you know, it was all right. They went really well. So that, it was exciting and it was awesome to go through that experience. That's cool. That's really cool. So uh, tell us a little bit more about um, what you're focused on now and what you've done in the last couple of years. So you got into the high-end flips and mm-hmm. what else? So now I have a couple really fantastic partners and we focus on uh, not necessarily high-end flips. We will do the high-end flips, but, um, you know, like a lot of investors in San Diego, the, the median home price is about four fifty five hundred. So we're doing uh, flips in that ballpark, but to kind of set ourselves apart, we'll do, we'll go higher than that. So a lot of our flips are seven, eight, 900 a million. And uh, every now and then we'll do one, you know, $1.5, million. So that's where we are right now. But I uh, really like, like that field that um, I guess that price range because things are flying off the shelves. We, I think we do a pretty good job with our remodels and once they're done, they're gone usually the first weekend. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. We don't have to worry about them hanging around or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little, a little bit more about like who influenced you and what programs, you know, because you're kind of more new into this than some of the people I talked to. So what was some of your, you mentioned Bigger Pockets forums. Um, did you do any other formal real estate education? I did a couple courses um, through Kiyosaki's program. Uh-huh. And, you know, those were okay. I, I think what that did for me was that was kind of my burn the ships moment, uh, you know, where I, I really made the commitment to, to go and do it. And I, I think you have to have that. If you approach this business from a standpoint of where you, you kind of want to try it out or test the waters, especially if you don't have any sales or marketing experience, which I did, that, that's all I had been doing. And I had worked on commission for years and I had renewals at that, the time that I left from my insurance business. Uh, but if you don't, if you don't have that moment where you commit that I'm doing this instead of I'm going to test the waters and see if this works out, you know, it, it's really tough. And I think that's why there's, there's a pretty high turnover rate in the business. Yeah. And, and then there's the people that forever go to the clubs and the seminars and the classes and never try anything because it is scary and you're, you're putting either your money or someone else's money at risk. A lot of times if you're doing a flip, if you're just right. doing a wholesale, there's obviously not as much um, skin in the game, but yeah, it's a big, big, scary leap and jump and risk that you got to take to jump on in. Well, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, oh no, I'm fine. Go ahead. And then what I was going to add to that is I think you can get all of the information you need to get started from free resources. If you're new, don't feel like you have to pay for one of those programs, you know, whether it be what I did or one of the other big coaching programs, there's great information on bigger pockets, podcasts like the one you have. There's a ton of great information to get you started because to get good at real estate, I'm sure you'd agree, you have to do it. You have to actually experience it. So that, that's the advice I would give. Yeah, that's good advice. And there is great free resources. I'm also a believer in paying for education too, because you if you pay for something, you take it more seriously mm-hmm. than if you don't. And I think you paid for stuff, right? Yes, I did. And you took it much more seriously because you paid <laughs> for it. All the information is out there for free, but it's not always easy to find. So 
yeah, it just depends on how much time and energy you have. And when you're paying for a program too, if you've got an accountability factor in there and some other people in it, that helps too. So there's both ways go at the lone wolf strategy or, or join a group and find some accountability partners to keep you going. Huh? You know, it's, it's funny you say that, that I I think you're going to ask me this later, but I'll, I'll touch on it right now. If there's one piece of advice I can give to anybody that's getting started, it's don't try to be a lone wolf. Don't try to learn everything yourself. What, what I would do, whether it's wholesaling, buy and hold, rehab, whatever you want to start with, go to the, the clubs or get connected with people that are in the know and find people that are doing that, like you and your market, and, and offer to bring value. And usually that's bringing them deals in yep. exchange for kind of them coaching you up on the business because they're going to show you the right and wrong things to do. You're going to learn that much faster than if you tried to do it yourself by trial and error. Amen. Amen, brother. I love it. <laughs> well, let's get into some of your actual stories, some of your deals. So I don't know, which, what do we, why don't you tell us about, you know, the time you made uh, like a rookie mistake, sometimes some beginner's mistake that you did. I made a really common one and it's, it was way overbuilding for what we needed to do. Oh, I did that on my first house too. <laughs> yeah. And so this is, this is one of the first ones I did after those higher end remodels. Mm-hmm. So I was used to putting in just the nicest of the nice finishes, finishes the stuff that, you know, rich people want. Yeah. And, you know, we went over budget by probably, probably about 20,000 more than we needed to. Oh. So it, it kind of, it would have been a great deal. It was kind of an okay deal because we put so much into the countertops and the bathrooms and the flooring. We just didn't need to do all that stuff. So if if you're doing a remodel in a, at a middle or a moderate income price point, really look at the comps. You know, if there's an open house from other flippers, go check out what they're doing and, and do something similar. And you can even do something a little bit better, but don't try to don't try to make it a mansion really high end when you don't need to. That That's one of the mistakes I made. Yeah, I definitely have quite a few buyers in my path that have gotten nicer than they paid for finishes. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the price was the price and yet the finish level was nice. And I'm like, well, they... I hope they enjoy it because we definitely spent too much. So you're not the only one to have done that. And I definitely did it on the very first one too. Exactly. I made it how I would want it. Like, yeah. well, I would want this. So I need this, but I was working in my first one was in Moreno Valley, which maybe you've heard of, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a lower, lower income, blue collar type area. They did not need the fanciest granite. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Tell us too, um, since you've dealt with sellers, tell us about you know, one of your stories about you know, maybe dealing with the seller. What interesting stories do you have about that? I've got a good one. So for a while, uh, one of our strategies was to go after people in foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, just to distress uh, sellers. And I know a lot of people do that. Um, and we had a team that would go out and door knock and you know, a bunch of agents that, that they knew to keep an eye out for us. And most people they go after the list. So everyone has access to the public record, the notice of default, notice of the trustee sale list. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that's people that are uh, going to be foreclosed on in the near future if they don't fix that situation. And an agent was out door knocking for us and she found somebody and the house was, was clearly a distressed property, you know, high grass, um, a bunch of crap in the yard and all that. But she found somebody living in a camper in the front yard. So, 
so she knocked on the front door. Nobody answered. Then she knocked on the camper and a guy answered and she found out it was the owner of the house. He was living in a camper in his front yard and renting out his house so he can continue to make the mortgage payments. That is a pretty creative and smart strategy. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. The, but the thing is, you know, it wasn't, I feel like when a lot of people get into that situation, it, it's sad because they're in survival mode. He wasn't living well. You know, he was, he wasn't in default because he was doing that, but the quality of his life wasn't great. And he kind of, he was like other people that continued to live in their homes, but were on the list because they hadn't paid. There was really no difference. You know, he, he just wasn't happy. He was kind of depressed. So we helped him get out of that situation you know, set him up with credit repair and everything like that. And, you know, when he's back on his feet in a couple of years, he'll be able to, to buy another property. And that's what it, I think a lot of people don't understand. A foreclosure is the worst thing you can allow to happen because that's seven years where you're not getting anything. You're not getting a loan, nothing. But if you're willing to do a short sale um, and just, and then just show, or even a bankruptcy and show that you're willing to, to work with your creditors, you know, it's probably, two, two and a half years where he can get back into something. So I think a lot of people don't understand that. And uh, we were uh, able to help him in that situation. So you did buy his house? We did. Yep. We bought it. We bought it. We fixed it up. And that was, that was a nice project, but it was, was bad and sad because those tenants were not taking care of the property. It was kind of oh. like a, the, the worst college frat house you've ever seen. But <laughs> I mean, it smelled great too, huh? Oh yeah, they always do. <laughs> so like in that particular case, did you do anything like where you took over his payments and caught him up or you just bought it and paid it off or do you remember? Great question. Well, yes, we did. We, we took it over subject too, which is a strategy that I absolutely love. <laughs> Me too. Well, why don't you explain that for our listeners that may not have heard of that, what that means and how you did it and why it was better than other acquisition methods for you? Yeah, sure. So basically, it, subject to means you're taking over the property subject to the existing mortgage. So essentially, we just took over his payments and um, he, now he wasn't behind, which was nice. Now, normally uh, in a right. foreclosure situation, you're going to have to catch them up. You're going to have to reinstate. So what that means is you're paying the payments that they've missed plus penalties and fees and anything like that to, to get them current. And as long as that makes sense, you know, in, with your deal, with your numbers, you know, you can definitely afford to do that. But the benefit there is you're taking over the payments for the three, four months, however long it takes to do the rehab and then reselling it but you don't have to go get new financing. You don't have to deal with anybody. You don't have to pay points or fees or anything like that. So it makes it a lot cheaper and it makes the deal better for you. Yeah, for sure. And the bank mortgages on an owner occupied home, like I'm, do you remember what his interest rate was at our ballpark? 5% maybe 6%. I think it was, it was in the fours. So it was fours, even better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, today the rates are in the fours, but if someone had a mortgage from a few years ago, five or six, where your alternative when you are a flipper is to go get a hard money loan. Hard right. money rates are typically what, you know? Anywhere from nine to 12 to even higher than that if you have less experience or you're doing a second position. 
and in other states. I've, I've heard they mm-hmm. charge a lot more. California, there's so much money chasing these deals. So you can get um, hard money as cheap as 9% and maybe right. a point or two. But in other states, I mean, it might be 15%. It could be a lot. And if the deal still works, it's great. It's not a bad thing. But if you can take over somebody's bank loan, that is gold. Did you pay yeah. him any cash out of out of your pocket up front too, or you just took over the payments and he went on his way? Or no, we did. We because we wanted to legitimately help him, so we gave him like ten thousand to move, and we gave him a little bit out of the back end profit. But it was still a great deal for us, and he was happy with that because he got to he got to move. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of money for him at that point. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it was an agent that found that deal for you then? Yeah, an agent door knocked for us. So we, we let her uh, work with us when we were reselling it. Sweet. Well, and I think that is a huge lesson to investors that not to discount the value that realtors can bring. And oh, I yeah. say that not because I'm a realtor, because I was an investor before I was a realtor. But I bought my last hundred houses pretty much through realtor connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, am lazy and not want to do marketing. So <laughs> I'd rather go talk and make friends with realtors than figure out the whole direct mail marketing thing. So, you know, for me, I'd rather have realtors bring me deals. And it sounds like you've had success with that too. Have you had other Absolutely. Deals from realtors? Okay. Yes. I, I agree with you 100%. This is the ultimate relationship business. So if you have good agents out there, uh, pounding the pavement and, and knowing to bring you stuff because they can't list a property like that. Yeah. You know, a, a normal buyer is not going to buy that. That has to be fixed up, oh, but yeah. it, they, they'll bring you great deals. So the more great realtors you have on your team, uh, the better off you are. And I, I'm, I'm an agent too. You know, I, I will take on listings from time to time, but um, you know, I'm not out doing that all the time because I'm busy, but they're out doing that. So why not have them on your team? Yeah, I just, I think it's a great resource to have. I'll send them little email reminders. Uh, I have, I need to do that again now, but I would, you know, have different subject lines like, seen any moldy houses lately? Seen Mm -hmm. any stinky houses? Have any listings that you're embarrassed to take? Call me, think of me. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's a great, great um, opportunity there. Well, um, what other advice do you have especially i think you have a story you can share with us about permitting when to permit or not to permit and what's your experience with that when you're doing a renovation i I do have a good story and you need to know if you haven't done it before find somebody that that's done it in that area is a mistake we made now are you familiar with the coastal commission a lot of these a lot of these areas on the water in Southern California. If a property is too close to the waterline, you might have to go through the Coastal Commission. And if you have to do that, it could take a long time. I'm talking, it could take a year, 18 months, two years to go through that. And we, on one of our first high end flips, we were going to really kind of mess with the existing structure. And if you mess with more than 50% of the existing structure, you have to go through Coastal in this particular area and we didn't do our homework on that so we went through the the plans process and we had new plans drawn up and then it came to our attention and we were gonna have to do that Um, and we weren't gonna wait two years for that so we had to spend money again to adjust our plans where we're gonna use 
over 51% of the existing wall structure so we wouldn't have to go through the coastal process. So it costs us a lot of money in, in plans and stuff like that. Um, so that, that was a mistake we made. But even if you're in, in an area without the coastal commission, um, you know when you're going to need to get stuff permitted and when you're, need, when you're not going to need to get stuff permitted. There are things you can get away with not permitting. But if you don't know, make sure you know. Don't just assume or, or take an agent's work for it. You know, and work with somebody who's done it before. That would be my advice. Um, so how much time would you say that cost you on that house? And then can you figure out how to translate that into dollars? Or is that too tricky to figure out? It costs us three months. Oh. Because we, yeah, I mean, we, we had our draftsman out there, architect, contractor. They, they had done the plans for us we were going to go one direction and then we had totally had to turn that around and go another direction wow. uh, so three months and probably 25 30 grand oh, oh. <laughs> yes i have such a problem with um government entities getting involved mm -hmm. in our business when we're just trying to make houses better but yeah that's a, that's a bummer yeah so and yeah people don't want you messing with their view either that's one oh, if you're remodeling yes. in those neighborhoods <laughs> be prepared to de deal with the neighbors not being happy about that especially yes. if you're building up but if you're building to code i don't know that they can do much about it nope they can't but they still they show might not up be the most they, popular guy. They get the microphone at the city planning commission meetings. Well, and I know because my husband happens to be on planning commission for my city, Dana Point, mm -hmm. and you know they give everybody their up the public their opportunity to complain about whatever they want to complain about. But at the end of the day, if the home is within the code, then they usually approve it. You know, I mean, we right. can't just like oh, just because. Susie Jane is grumpy about whatever. There's going to be more bedrooms. If it's in within code, you're okay. So don't always be afraid of the neighbors. Right, yeah. Be prepared for extra notifications mm -hmm. and meetings and all that if you're doing something high-end like that. Yeah, especially anything to do with a view. In San Diego, it's 30 feet from grade. So you can build 29 and, and 7 eighths. <laughs> and, and we have. Um, but, you know, if you're going to mess with somebody's view, they're probably not going to be happy about it, but just make sure you, you know that you, what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah, my own house, and I'm laughing because my own house in Dana Point is built to within an inch of the back setback, the, the top height restriction. Every mm -hmm. We pushed it out every way we could. We're not in a view, so I'm going to go through it all again if I ever get a view house. And that. <laughs> Yes, know your setbacks and your rules and get surveys if you, if you need them because it's mm -hmm. hard dealing. You don't want to be in a lawsuit and with neighbors. Right and all that over surveys. Well, let's change little gears here a little bit and talk about what do you find the most frustrating part about being an investor? I'm a very uh, punctual person. Uh, I'm the type of guy that if I say I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I, I just, I don't like when, you know, the, the waiting game, sometimes people won't get back to you and, and all that stuff. And that's frustrating for me. I'd like to get to move things along faster. Um, sometimes dealing with contractors, not sometimes, a lot of times it's like that. So just keeping things on schedule and, and I would say put in good systems. Otherwise you're going to be babysitting people all the time. So I'm just staying organized and staying on top of all the, the little moving parts is one of the most frustrating things for me. So what do you use when you say what, you know, have a system in place. What do you use to manage contractors or stay on top of them? 
to, to manage contractors. Um, well, we, we have a project manager now bringing one on board. Uh-huh. Um, before that is, yeah, it was kind of just driving around and, and making sure they're doing their thing. So, and there's, there's not really a, a, an online thing we use for that, but the one thing I've, we've implemented into our team is Slack. I don't know if you've heard of that or used that before. I've heard of it. I haven't used it. So tell us about it. What is so Slack? Slack is amazing. It, just sending emails back and forth can get really cumbersome and stuff gets lost. People don't see stuff. But Slack is it's like a, a message system specifically for, for business. And so you can send files, you can send pictures, you can organize. So you can have a section for one particular deal. So everything, all the communication stays in one place. Uh, potential deals, all the communication stays in one place. And when you get a Slack notification, you know this is specifically business. So people tend to pay attention to it much more than a text message or just an email. So yeah. that, that's worked really well. I really like Slack. I have to check that out myself. Mm-hmm. Because I'm using text and emails, so and I love Google Drive. I just did a couple months ago implemented a spreadsheet system with my main contractor, where we have the whole contract line by line and a dollar value for each part of the contract. Because hmm. he used to just would say, "Oh, give me three thousand for this week or five thousand I go, "I don't know if you've done enough on you know percentage of completion." So this is working really well. I make him tell me you know how much of each task is done and so we share the spreadsheet and it's really cool so then there's no kind of wondering or going back and forth that's awesome yeah google drive's amazing yeah i love I'm love it planning a wedding right now so we have a, <laughs> a google drive doc between uh, my fiance and her whole family and everyone so yeah okay doc. works for weddings too mm-hmm. love it. yeah <laughs> Okay, tell us an important characteristic of yours that has helped you be a successful investor. Resilience. Ah, yes. I I think you, especially in this business, things are not going to go to plan a lot. So (laughs) (laughs) you need to be able to think on your feet. So don't look at things like how you would have liked them to go when they started. Look at the current situation and how you can solve that problem. Because, you know, I think back to that movie, Apollo 13. Yeah, have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Where they're, they're up there and they, they're screwed for in like the middle part of the movie. And they find a way to, to keep their oxygen supply going longer just with miscellaneous, they like MacGyvered it yeah. with miscellaneous stuff that they had on the space shuttle. I, I think you have to apply that type of thinking to real estate where, okay, this isn't working. How else can we make this work? You know, what are the other options instead of just freaking out about it? And, you know, that's really not going to do you any good. So be resilient. Don't let anything get you down for too long a period of time. Just move right on and have that thing scan and, and solve the problem instead of being worried about it. Yeah. And when you don't know the answer, think who might know the answer to this? Right. I am in this mastermind. I'm not going to call it's not a mastermind group in the true sense, but I'll say a group email with lots of investors and we'll just throw out, hey, I've got this problem with a tenant or I've got this problem with a roof. Who do you know that can help? And there's probably a hundred or 200 people on it. It's so cool. Cause we all just pitch in, Oh, I've got a solution for that. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to know how to solve it all yourself, but you got to think who might know the answer to this, which once again, goes back to relationships, make friends, have friends offer value. And then you can go to them when you get stuck on things. <laughs> yeah. Resourcefulness. I mean, you, yes. you said it. Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure.
Well, we're getting close to the end of our time here, but why don't you tell us um, if you would, what your thoughts are about, you know, the market today and, and also, you know, going off of that, what are your goals for the year too? Yeah. So the market, they're really low inventory in San Diego right now. It's the lowest inventory there's been for 13 years. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of unique because at the same time, housing affordability is really low. And I know unemployment, you know, last couple of years has been improving, but the type of jobs that are being created aren't the jobs that are going to allow people to afford homes in San Diego. You know, the, the median price point is four fifty five hundred. you know, and it's the, it's the lower paying jobs that are being created. So I think that's kind of a misleading number. So when inventory increases, I believe the, the market will go down. A lot of people think the market's going to continue to, to rise. And I think it could for a little bit longer, but I, I think we are peaking. I don't think it's just going to be one of those things where it's forever increasing like that because it's cyclical about every eight to 10 years, we have a dip. And you know, if, every time that happens, historically people think, Oh no, it's going to keep going up. But I don't think so. You know, there's just, there's not enough people to continue buying homes at higher price points. Mm-hmm. That's just my take. So if you're flipping, you're, you're in great shape because you're in, you're out fast. And thankfully mm-hmm. our market is very inefficient. It doesn't happen. Things don't turn on a dime or in a nanosecond like they do in the stock market. So you have time right. to get out. But yeah, if you're holding rentals, might want to consider you know, where they are and all of that and whether, how long you want to keep them, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you think? Uh, what? I think that um, we are high. I think that we have support, at least in Orange County, to kind of stay high. The low inventory is keeping prices up. That's for sure, because I, I see that. I'm an agent working with buyers and sellers all the time, too. So I, I see what's going on multiple offers still on, on things, anything under 700,000. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's crazy. People are just like <laughs> vultures on it. But um, I'm holding on to my rentals because they're all in the Inland Empire, which I mean, if you're not local to California, that's a lower price point, an hour inland or more. And I, I think there's enough support to keep those. So I'm holding on to those rentals, but I don't think I'd be holding on to rentals in Orange County. And right. <laughs> the higher priced areas. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. So what are your goals for the year? <laughs> My goal for the year is very simple. Uh, 50 deals. Now that just wow. that <laughs> doesn't have to be all investments. I do take on um, good listings as well, but uh, just out there hustling and make getting to that number 50. So 50 deals. Very simple. Good for you. And you got a wedding to pay for too, huh? Or, or maybe the bride's mom is paying for it, huh? <laughs> hey, you've got incentive now that you've got a, a lady in your life and starting, that's true. starting a whole, whole new life. That's exciting. Well, I've, I've got some time. It's May, 2018. So. It'll be here before you know it. I know. I know. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank I'm excited you. for you. That's really fun. That's great. Well, um, tell us how if people want to, get in touch with you and what you're working on, what your website is, how would people get in touch with you, learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website. It's just my, my own name, DirkWaters.com. Um, if you'd like to, you can check out, I have some blog posts there. I also have a podcast, a real, real estate growth hacker podcast that's on iTunes. So go check that out. Subscribe. Um, one of the, you can give me a call. I do answer my own phone. Number is 619-839-5757. Excuse me. 
9757. Uh, and Facebook's great. I, I'm on Facebook all the time. I do a lot of my marketing from Facebook. So if you want to uh, send me a friend request and message me, that's fine too. So any one of those. Awesome. Yeah. Check out his podcast for sure. So thank you so much for your time. I loved hearing your stories. I love hearing true experiences of people really making it happen and, and reach out to Dirk with any questions or if you want to see how you can work with him. If you're in the San Diego area, there's probably some good relationship opportunities and ways you can work with him and have a win-win situation there. So with that, thank you for your time and um, get out there, my listeners, and apply these lessons. Take some action, find some other people doing it, and go have some success. Thank you, Dirk. Thanks, Holly. I appreciate it. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com, on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.